Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Can I say to the House, there will be no more personal statements today. Today on the Indo Daily, bye bye Boris. Now, who does Ireland want to be the next British Prime Minister? Uh, Mr. Speaker, there's a very simple reason why they want me out, uh, and that is, and that is, and that is because, uh, and that is because they know, Mr. Speaker, uh, that if it, that otherwise uh, we are going to get on and deliver our mandate and win another general election, and that is the reality. There will be no tears about the demise of Boris Johnson at government buildings in Dublin, but ministers will be wary about what comes next. Dublin and Brussels has been planning for a uh, post-Boris Johnson world. Boris Johnson was busy jettisoning the Northern Ireland Protocol and ruining trust and putting everything on uh, course for a trade war. That could be dialed down no matter who succeeds Boris Johnson. Johnson seemed like a cat with nine lives, but he's finally run out of road. I'm Kevin Doyle and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Irish independent political commentator John Downing to assess the runners and riders in the race for number 10 Downing Street. John Downing, the Boris Johnson train has finally, finally been derailed. Remind us of, and I don't use the word lightly, the shit show that got us to this point. Yes, Boris Johnson, a brilliant campaigner, a great man to get the job, a very poor man to do the job. Elected July, elected Prime Minister July 24th, uh, 2019, uh, went on to quite brilliantly win a thumping great majority in December uh, 2019 elections. By then, he had come up with a fix to, quote unquote, get Brexit done. And he did all sorts of deals. The the last one, Christmas Eve um, 2020, uh, Brexit was done, supposedly. Then he just quickly, before the ink was dry on the agreement that he made with Northern Ireland, uh, he he just weaseled out of the entire thing. And now he, at time of speaking, going through the British Parliament, there is a law to undo 
the so-called Northern Ireland Protocol, which avoids a hard border in Ireland and gives a, a, sim- a very similar trade regime to the entire Ireland island from an EU point of view. But he's heading, his government was heading for a trade war, heading for all sorts. Meanwhile, all sorts of noises off. He hired probably one of the most accident-prone special advisors, Dominic Cummings, who got himself into all kinds of problems. And by extension, Boris Johnson, a very acrimonious parting between the two. After Barnard Castle, remember all that, John? Like, it's... It seems like a lifetime ago. I think he followed the instincts of every father and every parent. And I do not mark him down for that. And though there have been many other allegations about what happened when he was in self-isolation and thereafter, some of them palpably false, I believe that in every respect he has acted responsibly and legally and with integrity. It does, yeah. And uh, he flouted he flouted uh, the COVID-19 laws, which they made themselves, uh, coming from a cast of people who make the rules, but those rules which they make, of course, don't apply to them. With Partygate and Party Central, Downing Street was Party Central, uh, booze-ups uh, on a regular basis at a time when People couldn't meet, people couldn't go to funerals, people couldn't visit each other's homes, isolation, elderly people dying alone, all that sort of thing. Absolutely infuriated uh, the the British people, normally law-abiding people who were trying to do their best through COVID. And I want to begin today by renewing my apology to the House, uh, to the whole country, for the short lunchtime gathering on the 19th of June 2020 in the Cabinet Room, during which I stood at my place at the Cabinet table and for which I received a fixed penalty notice. And I also want to say, Mr Speaker, above all, that I take full responsibility for everything that took place on my watch. We have the uh, either fortunately or unfortunately named Chris Pincher, it was a notorious individual. And of course, he gets himself into, Boris got himself into this uh, dreadful crisis by saying he had appointed this man called Chris Pincher, who was uh, accused of all kinds of rampant sexual misconduct and impropriety. He had appointed him to various senior jobs. The most notable and recent was in February 2021, when he himself was on, when Johnson was under terrible pressure over Partygate. He put this man Pincher on his team as an assistant chief whip. Now that is a very important job, and it's it's um, it's a fixer to quite high office. So it, it was a, a weighty appointment. There's no place in this government for uh, anybody who uh, is predatory or who uh, abuses their position of power. Did you want to joke, though, pincher by name, pincher by nature? Well, what I can tell you is that uh, if I look at the background of this and why I regret it so much, is that uh, about three years ago, uh, there was a complaint made against uh, Chris Pincher in the Foreign Office, uh, the complaint was was uh, 
cleared up. He apologised. Uh, it was raised with me uh, in uh, orally. There was a I was I was briefed on what had had happened. Mm-hmm. And you know, if, if I had my time again, I would think back on it and uh, recognise that uh, he wasn't going to learn uh, any okay. lesson. He and he wasn't going to. To change. I know that you Johnson said, look, I, I was vaguely aware of sort of low-grade gossip, but I was never really aware that, that uh, this man was the subject of serious complaints. But Pincher Wrong, was just the one else. that comes on the back of Partygate. It came on the back of the no confidence motion. It came on the back of the money spent on the wallpaper doing up the apartment in Downing Street. And so it all, John came to, are you running the country? How are you running the country if you can't even run Downing Street? Exactly. And um, we get to the point where two of his uh, most senior people in government, Richie Sunak, who was his finance minister, so-called Chancellor of the Exchequer. We got Sajid Javid, who was more recently the health minister, of course, a very important job in these COVID times. The two of them walked off the pitch on him. I think Rishi Sunak has just resigned. I'm just getting this through on my phone, a tweet here. We're just hearing that uh, Sajid Javid has resigned. And the things they said as they went, um, Rishi Sunak basically said government should be conducted properly, competently and seriously. And at some point, we have to conclude that enough is enough. I believe that point is now. I welcome the Prime Minister's public acknowledgement last night that matters could have been handled better in who he appointed and what was said about what he knew when. And I appreciated his kind and humble words and his humble spirit when I went to see him yesterday and also the kind letter that he has sent to me. But I do fear that the reset button could only work so many times. There's only so many times you can turn that machine on and off before you realise that something is fundamentally wrong. Sajid uh, Javid said, um, in essence, uh, that the public believe the government is neither competent nor acting in the national interest. And very, very serious things to be said about uh, Boris Johnson. Uh, followed by mass walk-offs uh, by by other people, ten plus people in, in relatively senior jobs, uh, government positions, abandoning him, and basically making his position look uh, entirely untenable. John, all politics is local, and we're all a bit selfish in these scenarios. So, what I really want to talk to you about is what all of this means for us here on this little island, the neighbours who are still impacted by what is going on in British politics and have been for so many, well, forever really, but particularly in the last few years in the post-Brexit era. What will ministers looking across the Irish Sea be thinking and and hoping comes out of all of this? Well, obviously, if you ask the obvious question of the Taoiseach, of, of the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney or whatever, they will say, look, we don't comment on on, on others, uh, other jurisdictions' politics. We'll stay out of that one for now. Of course, they're fixated by it. They're watching it very closely. 
they believe there is a strong belief in Dublin. There's a strong belief in London among moderate Brexiteers or even Remainers that nothing could be achieved in relation to the, the Brexit deadlock that we currently have while Boris Johnson was in the chair. Now, the, the question is, um, <clears throat> it, it was very interesting to hear uh, a fortnight ago, I heard Bertie Ahern make a very interesting uh, speech on this. He said, look, the current Brexit uh, uh, impasse had been all to do with Boris Johnson's weakness, his dependence on the Europhobic wing of the party. And similarly, Jonathan Powell, who was for 10 years uh Tony Blair's chief of staff at Number 10 Downing Street, Jonathan Powell, a pivotal figure in the making of the Good Friday Agreement. He also said, look, step one, plan for a post-Boris uh, Johnson world. And he said both Dublin and Brussels have been planning for a post-Boris uh, Johnson world, a belief that even uh, a europhobe uh, coming to succeed him, uh, a radical, a hardline Brexiteer. Boris Johnson was busy jettisoning the Northern Ireland Protocol and ruining trust and putting everything on uh, the course for a trade war. That could be dialed down no matter who succeeds Boris Johnson. Meaningful negotiations could then ensue. A bit more flexibility from Brussels something for the optics to make, uh, to give uh, a new British Prime Minister an opportunity to climb down off the rock that the British government have got themselves up on and compromise and a reasonable outcome for the island of Ireland is possible in a post-Johnson world. John, that only works if the next British Prime Minister wants to climb down off that rock because you had David Cameron calling the Brexit referendum. He didn't want to leave the EU, but he gave in to that Europhile part of the Tory party and went for it. Then he gets replaced by Theresa May, who we believe was a Remainer, but gave in and went further and further in her hard lines in terms of leaving the customs union and the single market because that's what she felt the Tories wanted. Then that wasn't enough for the Tories. So they went with Boris Johnson, who did the deal, but then that wasn't enough for them. So they decided to start on picking it. So what's to say that the next person to get in won't want to go even further to prove their anti-EU credentials? There, there are no guarantees, Kevin. There is, there is no doubt about that, and you make some very valid points there. The point is that uh, COVID and the war in Ukraine have disguised the extent of uh, the, the harm that Brexit is doing to the British economy, to the UK economy, from the average uh, British person, and it has allowed, it allowed. Johnson for the longest time to just blame Brussels and say, look, they're just being mean. They're being gratuitous in their treatment of us. But more and more mainstream business and uh, uh, independent reports on the British economy are indicating huge harm. And they are also uh, politically uh, finding that while uh, 
Britain has shown great solidarity alongside the European Union and the US uh, with uh, in the on the whole issue of the war in Ukraine. But that is being undermined by by the flouting of international law, breaking an international treaty freely negotiated and entered into. There is also a very strained relationship between Washington and London. So these things, I think there is a growing realization that these things have to be fixed. Pragmatism, I think, is the issue. Let's talk about who might be the one to fix them. There are several names in the running to replace Boris Johnson. One of them, let's start with Liz Truss, because she is in the papers a lot here in recent times, because she's the foreign secretary who is pushing through that unilateral uh, decision, the legislation to do away with large parts of the protocol. The fact is, the EU EU have refused to change the protocol, which is causing these problems on trade, on tax, uh, and more broadly in Northern Ireland. Liz Truss obviously would not be a a welcome name from an Irish point of view. She, She, way back when, she used to be actually a Remainer, but she is has been busy out uh, out leaving the Uber leavers for a long time. She is the person who presented the legislation undoing the Northern Ireland Protocol. But there is speculation that even she could become come over all pragmatic. She currently has very strong views. She previously had very strong views on a whole range of things. I think she would be described as somebody with strong views lightly held. <laughs> and and probably not the top pick, as you say, from Dublin. What about the two that stimulated this, this latest uh, crisis for Boris Johnson that basically put this into a space where everything became untenable? Uh, Sandy Javid, he ran to replace Theresa May, finished fourth in that, but made the final four, but dropped out and backed Boris Johnson. Could he be the next prime minister? Uh, he could be. I mean, he he uh, he left. He was uh, Boris Johnson's uh, chancellor or finance minister. Left that job uh, last January after a power struggle with Johnson. Um, he certainly would be a pragmatist on the economy. Quite worried about current trends in the British economy. Part of the reason that he, that he parted company with Boris Johnson. Um, I. I think anybody who succeeds uh, Boris Johnson would be viewed with some scepticism from Dublin, but there would be varying degrees of scepticism. They would be looking for pragmatism. Um, Rishi Sunak, he has had some trouble himself in regard to his wife having a non-domicile status for tax purposes while he himself was the the Chancellor, and he's been caught up, of course, in the cost of living crisis. So is he damaged going into a race? I think he is. His resignation letter seemed, uh, there was a very defeatist line in it saying, I realise this may be my last uh, chance uh, to, to hold government office. Another, I'll give two more, John. Another frontrunner, Penny Mordaunt. She is uh, one of the favourites with the bookies, um, has a bit of a topsy-turvy relationship with Boris Johnson was a reality television contestant on a diving show with Tom Daly. 
But she was a big lever. Would would that be a problem for, for us? She's completely terrifying, um, the whole process. Um, scary about wearing a swimsuit, scary about uh, jumping off high high boards. Um, and the dive I'm doing on the night hasn't been attempted before on Splash. Wherever they came from on the, on the uh, various sides of the... Uh, those who were remain, you know, six years ago, they're pretty much all reconciled that it's leave, leave, leave now. Probably not uh, top of, of, of a, a Dublin wish list for a replacement for Boris Johnson. The final name, John, I want to put to you is Jeremy Hunt, someone we haven't heard from in quite some time. Former Foreign Secretary, former Health Secretary, was much more on the side of Theresa May when all of that went down. He might be someone we'd like, is he? I I would think yes, he he could be seen as a a, a positive uh, possible person. Um, uh, remember Theresa May from an Irish point of view was trying uh, to to get a fix on Brexit, which would have been very acceptable to Ireland at one stage. She couldn't get it through the Houses of Parliament. She lost her job really in the end, uh, while she was very weak and and watery on, on occasions. In the end, she was forced out of office while trying to be honourable and the outcome that she was positing at the end would have been very acceptable to Ireland. Uh, so Jeremy Hunt yeah, might be seen through that kind of prism. Uh, the, the other thing to say, Kevin, is that frequently uh, people who who make it over the line and, and become leader of the Tory party and prime minister across the water can frequently be people who don't kind of figure very much in dispatches here. There's a guy called Ben Wallace, who was a defence minister and uh, has uh, acquitted himself quite well in the the whole area of Ukraine. Again, people would be looking at Michael Gove, the so-called levelling up minister at the moment. Uh, Gove made a very good job of negotiating and got on very well with Michel Barnier. Um, Gove would be a delight. Uh, I don't know. He, at time of speaking, he seems to be far off the pace. But the race hasn't really begun yet. Well, John, no matter what happens, it won't be boring. That's for sure. We're going to finish up with some of the best bits, or maybe the worst bits, of the Boris Johnson era. I, I like to paint um, oh, I make things. I was at a hospital the other night where I think there were, a few, there were actually a few coronavirus uh, patients and I shook hands with everybody, uh, you'll be pleased to know, and, and I continue to shake hands. I have a thing where I make models of buses. Yesterday I went, as we all must, to Peppa Pig World. I don't know if you've been to Peppa Pig World. Who's been to Pads? I've been who's been to Peppa Pig World. Not enough. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Mary Carroll, researched by Garrett Mulhall, recorded by Gavin Hennessy, with sound design by John Smith. Archive clips were from BBC News, Sky News and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. <laughs>